welcome back to another episode of Tinfoil Hat. Come with me into the waters of conspiracy with Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. Mr. Sam Tripoli. Sam Tripoli. With my friend Ryan Davis. What the fuck are you guys even talking about? Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. Yeah. And welcome to another episode of Tinfoil Hat, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're super excited for today's show. I want to say something. You guys are... Uh, I'm so thankful for all your input on our shows, whether it's it's positive love or it's uh, it's constructive criticism. I'm very thankful for it. Your passion fuels the show. Joining me as always is my good friend Ryan Davis. Hey Sam, how you doing, man? Killing it, killing it. People like me, I think so far. I think it's going really well. So guys, uh, go if you guys could go to uh, all comedy tees. Go check out the new shirt that I really love, and that is the the uh, revol- the revolution will be podcasted, and it's basically uh, our podcast being played, and then someone turns into werewolf. It's most likely because I'm Armenian. That's who it is, an angry furry person. Yeah. So check that out. Uh, it's a good way to support the show. And if you're also looking for another way to support the show, please check us out on Patreon. That would mean a lot to us. Go to it. Go to patreon.com backslash tinfoil hat all right guys oh and my live show i'm very excited i have my tour is coming together my evil plan my tour is coming together going to the lone star state huh yes i'm very excited uh i am doing if i can find the flyer real quick let me just find it real quick we are doing the uh the social justice warriors tour of world tour of texas we're basically going to be in we're going to be in San Antonio, December 14th. Then we'll be in San Marcos, December 15th. December 16th, we will be at the, uh, we'll be at the, fuck, I can't remember the name of it. Where is it? No, it's not it. Anyways, find it. I'll, I'm tweeting it. You'll find it. You'll find it. Just find, go to my shows. If you know I'm coming, come to the shows. Go to the shows. All right, enough of the business. No, the business. I haven't butchered it that bad before. Um, why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, today's guest is someone that I've wanted on our show ever since we started the podcast. Uh, host of his own two podcasts. May I introduce to you, Zach Lear, everyone. Yay. Hi, guys. Thanks for Welcome having me. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks, you for coming. Thank you, Thank you. Thank uh, you. For driving through the teeth of traffic <laughs> yeah. to come get spiritual with us. Yeah, man. It, you know, being fr- I'm, I'm an L.A. native, and it's still like you think you know better. You know, you leave from Santa Monica, 
And you'd think you'd make it in time, right? Now, you're a very spiritual man. I've been doing uh, a lot but, of research But, but dri- driving, it's all out, man. It's it, all out. You know, and, and Duncan said this thing to me on my podcast once. He's like, yeah, you know, you'd think you're in this car, right? And it's cool if I'm late, right? You guys aren't tripping, right? No, no. You're in a car. You have nice music. You have nowhere to really go. And you're just kind of hanging out in the moment. And you think you could be present. And just there and just enjoying the moment, listening to whatever is going on, you know, maybe connecting with your thoughts, doing an inventory or something. But no, not the case. No, it's it's crazy. You get get crazy. I know what I'm going through. It's going to be fine. And then you get cut off three or four times and you just become (laughs) a lunatic. Yeah. It's family or traffic will show you how really centered you are. And I don't care how zen you are, you will you will do some politically incorrect shit in your car. It is the yoga of Los Angeles for sure. It is the yoga of Los Angeles. So I mean like your your story is amazing. You know, I was reading up on it that like you kind of had gone through a little craziness in your life. Yep. So why don't you kind of take us through that, and then we'll get into your podcast, because you have some really amazing podcasts. So let our listeners, in case they don't know your story, uh, get a little background on you. Uh, Gosh, well, specifically kind of the insanity of addiction and my my transformation of that kind of stuff. We both have uh, dealt with that in our lives. We both deal with that on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, when I was um, in my late teens into early 20s, you know, I was very much, uh, and this is kind of a very cliche sort of story of being related to somebody who's larger than life and is kind of famous is when they're around. Do, it, in case they don't know your father. Yeah, uh, Timothy Leary. And when uh, I was a young adult and he was alive, his orb, his aura was, you know, his life force was really, really, really big. And at the time, at that moment, you know, you, you don't know any different. So you just experience They're it. just your dad. At some point, they're your dad. It's your just your dad. dad, yeah. And you don't know that there's right, anything different right, on the right. other side. And it's just your dad, and it's just this, this life that's happening, and, you know, and there's uh, a lot of fun that's going around. And, uh, you know, I just was sort of getting to the age to where I was sort of, uh, sort of appropriately able to enjoy the fun right you right. know what i mean where before i was a little young to really yeah. so i was kind of just getting into it and really enjoying it and then he died you know and i was 22 and it wasn't that his death was incredibly sad or anything i mean he really made his death into sort of a piece of performance art in a way and really getting people to understand the whole death and dying process so it wasn't that it just that i was left with no identity of my own I just oh, that's got to be really hard too. Yeah, got to it, be real. Is there it, a pressure? Is there a pressure when your your uh, your parents, either one of them, is this incredibly huge icon? And then you know, if you want to go on your own path, can you do that? Or is there this pressure to get in the family business, like <laughs> you know, in a weird yeah. way, like a Frank Sinatra Jr. or whatever yeah. that long, where it's like you got to do that because the doors open easier, maybe, or, not, or that's all you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, at the time, it's definitely one that I was not aware of if it was even being asked of me. You know, I'm just, I mean, I just think the overall expectation was just to do something great, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, when you're sort of around, especially in your young adulthood, when you're sort of around in that bubble, everything is taken care of for you. You know, you don't really have to work, you don't really have to meet girls, they're just kind of there. You don't really have to pay bills you know it just sort of everything's there 
And yeah, your family business was a little bit different than most people. Some yes. people go into furniture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> roofing, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and the family, the family business. I'm still not even quite sure what that <laughs> yeah. is, but I'm figuring it out. But anyway, yeah. So I just, you know, I spent a lot of years sort of, uh, you know, just struggling, kind of at the grips of uh, self identity, and and just trying to find out what worked for me. It must have been interesting you know? because your fa- your father, and I, I don't want to get too much because I, I want to learn more about all the amazing stuff you're doing right now. But I was just kind of thinking, man, it's like. You know, you have your parents, and they're always telling you, don't do this, don't do that, <laughs> don't do this. But your dad is kind of doing what they – a lot – my mother would – she she would flip out on that, you know? And it's – and, you know, and she did her best, and there was things that she was overprotective on. But it must have been so interesting to have a parent, like, tripping on acid all the time and be like, hey, you know, don't talk to the dancing bear over there <laughs> or something like that. Did you uh, grow up traditionally Armenian? Uh, no, we did, which was very interesting because yeah. my mother – uh, that generation was about assimilation, and it was more about uh, fitting in okay. than this new this thing that's been going on since I'd like to say the '80s and '90s, which is you know find your own niche and all that. And, which, and I see, I see, I see good points on both sides of those arguments. You yeah. know, where it's like, yeah, you should have a you know a little bit of your history too, but I also feel like we also need to be like a melting pot you know a, me- yeah. a real like we, where we all come together you know so well i mean the, you know the great uh, I, mean, I don't know if it's actually the great irony but sort of a, a really important footnote about the growing up with timothy leary's story is that he was not especially in my teenage years he was not just blindly permissive right you know i don't want to ever portray that you know no, it no. was it was not just like oh man just you know take as much acid as you want yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and freak the fuck out and just and, right. and go for it you know, he was a real academic, you know, I mean, you know, he taught at Harvard and, yeah. you know, and, and I mean, you know, got his PhD at Berkeley and, you know, he was extremely well educated and, um, and his, and his work ethic was just, you know, every single day, you know, about like nine in the morning to nine at night at his computer working, you know, constantly, constantly, very, very disciplined. So it was not really a free for all. Um, and. I was I was a deadhead, you know, following the dead around the country, and and I was getting a little. When did too, you start doing that? At what I was age? Fourteen. At fourteen, you started following the dead around. Yep. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, no, it is. Did you ever see the dead, Sam? I I did see the dead one time, one time. Like I got to see this before. It's so funny because like when I got in like the nineties, all these bands had been touring. For, they started all their uh, farewell tours. Little did you know there'd, they be, still keep going. there'd be like 13 farewell tours. Like, this is a farewell from our farewell tour. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I got to see the Rolling Stones back when I thought it was over. And I got to go see the dead, too, you know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to love to do acid and go to concerts. Oh, it was great, wasn't it? I, I, yeah, that's one great. of the best experiences I ever had. Well, I was high on acid at Lollapalooza. Oh, and, you know, man. just like I was watching bands that had just broke, like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. You know, Ice Cube was on the lineup, you know, and, and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, like, you didn't realize how great that was until you get much older and you really oh, appreciate it. Those but, early Lollapaloozas were just epic, man. Epic. epic. Yeah. You know. Epic. Alice in Chains and Primus and Rage Against the Machine. I mean, they're just, it was so good. So, yeah. an, an amazing thing to be going through, too, to be following the dead because there was a culture with that. And it's like not just in the stadium, but yeah. like in the parking lot, people don't realize like there was a whole like community. Shakedown Street. Yeah, right. It was a traveling city, you know, it was. And, uh, 
you know, I mean, I primarily went for the music. I mean, I'm still a, a huge Grateful Dead fan, and I really love the music. But the community, you know, when you're a teenager, I mean, that was just as much of a part of A lot of, of bartering, a lot of sharing, a lot of... And you just see you're this traveling band of gypsies just going together to the next place, and then to the next place, and to the next place. And it's just, it's an incredible Now, did you of, go into the concert? Or yeah, did no, you? I went, I was, uh, me and my, my crew, we were primarily about the music. We waited in line to get, you know, most most shows were general admission, so you could go up close. Not all of them, but, you know, that that was a really important part of it for us, was getting as close as possible. And, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> was there anything, the cra- did you see anything you were like, that oh, will always stand out? Was there one crazy thing where you're like, oh, this one time we went, or anything like that? Or was it just every time there was just something that really made you go, this is what I came for? <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, it's hard to sort of look. I mean, over I went to about a hundred shows, I think, and and looking back on it, it's you know they're definitely a blur. But there's definitely a couple I think that stand out as just. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, Halloween 1991 in Oakland, where it was just uh, tripping really, really, really hard, and uh, Bill Graham had just died, and then Ken Kesey came onto the stage and kind of did this little rap in the middle of uh, Dark Star, one of the Dead's yeah. most famous songs, and. And it was just uh, this complete, you know, merging and morphing and sort of just disorientation of psychedelicness merged into the crowd, merged into the guitar. And just, yeah, it, it was truly a, a, a multiverse experience. 91 was such an interesting time. You think about that. To me, that's, that you know, it's not. it wasn't my prime. I, I you know, I was blessed <laughs> that I went to college, yeah. got into comedy, and I was blessed to basically live the life of a... Uh, college student well into my 30s. I, I, I lived a fun... I'm still living. I've lived <laughs> like I passed away. But, you know, I lived a really fun life. But th- there was something about those early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, where I would I would argue with anybody that it, that may have been one of the, the greatest times for music ever. Uh, you I had the so. 60s, you had 70s. But this was like the, uh, the explosion of like rap and hip-hop, grunge, uh, metal was still going. There was all this like incredible creativity that was going on. I think it's the last golden age of, of music. Without a doubt. I mean, sure, today, of course, you know, there's lots of good exceptions of some great bands around. But I mean, still my favorite bands who are kind of current-ish who are touring today, they like Tool or Radiohead. I mean, uh, they got started back then. Well, oh, yeah, I saw I mean, Tool in a tiny rock club in the early 90s in Vegas. I and mean, it was just a total explosion of just, you know, where can this medium go, you know, but then it found a new place to go. What I, what I think right now is, and, and then I want to get into your podcast because mm. your podcasts are amazing. Um, I think it's there's a lot, you know, Spotify, for whether you mm. like it or you don't like it, it does introduce you some really cool bands through its yeah. algorithms man yeah, it it's does. like oh you like the beats this fast you like that and it let it lets you know like oh man i've discovered some amazing bands i would never totally. have ever discovered yeah. before i think it's just it's there's there's just so much now that's really hard for anybody to stand out and those who really do stand out they, they don't excite me and maybe that's just mean i'm much older so maybe they're not meant for me i was watching the amas yeah. last night i was like I don't know any of these bands, and yeah, I, I don't feel weird, bad right? about it either. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good getting old. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm one person. I like it. I live my life, man. I have very little regrets. I think it's impossible to go through life without 
any regrets. That would mean every because I think every decision you make in life is a little gamble. You make a gamble, whatever it is. Yeah. I want to co- I want to go get coffee here. Well, you know, maybe if you got coffee over there, you didn't get a car crash. So I think it's impossible to not live with any regrets. But yeah. I, I I'm pretty happy. So right where I am right now, there's no pressure, dude. There's no pressure to have to go out and be social and got to impress the girls anymore. I just, I it's funny to... though. When does that change though? Because I, I, I feel the same way as you. I'm, I'm in the same place. But when does that change? Like there was definitely some point in my life where I just felt like, what the fuck? Why am I trying so hard? Just like sit back and, and enjoy it. I, you know? I, I don't, don't you think know. it's in the 30s. I feel like it has to do with a physiological change of like your your drop in testosterone. Your yeah, your DNA body goes down. overthrows mm. your dick. Your uh, your body overthrows your dick, and you go on. You just you mm. throw coup because the. I mean, to a certain point, I mean, we're spiritual, but we're also monkeys, and yeah. that drove a lot of the stuff we did, man. You know, and at some point, you're like, nope, it's over. The tyranny's over. It's the, you know you know you don't run the show anymore, and it just it kind of lets the pressure go. And, oh, I don't need to go. Oh, I don't need to be trying to impress all the girls all the time. I yeah. can just. Be very thankful. And, you know, I, I, too, have gone through recovery and I, through the tools of that. I've learned that, you know, you know, little thing, all this stuff I'm going after isn't going to make me that much happier. It's temporary. It's so what funny. I have, it yeah. makes me, I'm happy with what I have right now. So your podcast, me, you have two podcasts. Two. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit, which one do you want me to talk about first? Cause well, let's start with It's All Happening. Yeah, so a couple years ago, I'm on, what, episode 107 or 8 or something right now, and uh, yeah, a couple years ago, I started a podcast purely out of, uh, I mean, my sort of intentions were purely self-centered in a way. It wasn't to, honestly, it wasn't to bring good content to the people. It was a way to sort of jumpstart my creativity. I sort of felt a lull in what I was trying to do in life, and I was like, fuck, man, you know, what can I do to jumpstart sort of my you know, my internal fire, my internal engine. And then, you know, I just sort of woke up one day and was like, you know, by putting out a podcast, it's going to put me in this position of having to water it and nurture it and to work on it and to get it out there and to call people to have them be guests and to work on that and just to engage with the world outside of myself. I mean, I'm an introvert by default, an only child. I live alone. Uh, so you know what I mean. I can fall internally and implode on my on myself. So the podcast it was a way for me to sort of open up and sort of externalize and sort of get out in the world a little bit. And so yeah, I started this podcast, which was really I mean the original intent was, um, you know, I have uh, my my sort of everlasting evergreen philosophy is about like the fusion of spirituality and technology and where those two paradigms collide. And the podcast was kind of about bringing those worlds together. But, you know, obviously it's drifted off into, uh, you know, Eastern mysticism, psychedelics, of course, music, technology, uh, progressive issues, culture, environmentalism, uh, whatever. You know, I yeah. love it. I, you know, you know, Ro- if, if Rogan's podcast has taught us anything in your podcast and what I'm learning with this podcast yeah. is like there's a reason people are, are fleeing television and uh, yeah. uh, pop culture is because they want food for their brain. That's right. And they yeah. want to hear your take on everything and go into those deep realms and stuff like that. So as we were preparing for this this episode, he was just kind of like really t- – because he does a lot of the research. I'm very oh, blessed cool. that he's on the show, and he does a lot of the research, and it really helps me out. And, like, he was just blowing my mind. And I know that people listening to this are really going to, to love it. And mm-hmm. – 
you know, it's kind of cool to create a brand. Like, people get, like, you know, a lot of people, like, hate YouTube stars. And I go, why hate them? Why don't you see what they're doing and yeah. see if you could use it for what you want to do? Like, create something. Like, when I go in the middle of nowhere and some guy's like, hey, dude, I got a podcast. Will you do it? I always, if I can, I'll do it. Good for you. Because I yeah. love, awesome. yeah. I love that they're just doing it. Yeah. And it's like even if they live in wherever they live in it, they're not in Hollywood or not in New York or whatever. They they just are creating their own voice, and I, I love helping art. I love artists. I love helping artists in whatever way I can. I love doing. Podcasts. It's a thought provoking media uh, podcasting. I first heard you on Duncan Trussell back in 2015. Yeah. And I distinctly remember being in June because on Fourth of July I was watching like fireworks explode, and I was thinking about stuff you were saying, huh? and moving forward in time. Uh, Full on, it's interesting that you your guys' connection is in a weird way your degree is separated from Duncan, and mm. it's just amazing how these type of weird circles can form and bonds that you can make. You know, how'd you meet Duncan? Um, I met Duncan actually through the Ramdas community. You know, he sort of found his way into that, which I was. Well, know, for our listeners, don't know what that is. Oh uh, yeah, well, Ram- and by the listeners, I mean myself. <laughs> <laughs> All three of us. Um, well, Ramdas is uh, he is a spiritual teacher who um, uh, is definitely born from the '60s. He was uh, my father's partner at um, at Harvard University under the name of Richard Alpert, and in the '60s he uh, went from Richard Alpert and he became Ramdas. Um, and yeah. oh. huh? Oh, yeah, there you are. Richard Albert and, nope. and, and Timothy Larry. Well, all I have to say is that Ryan tried really hard to present all this stuff, and I have... <laughs> there it is. There's Ramdas. There we go. Yeah, so in the 60s, you know, it was a really... Uh, it was a very unusual thing to change your name to, you know, from Richard Albert to become Ramdas. You right. Know, these days, you know, every yoga teacher and, you know, west of the Mississippi does it. But it was a big deal back then to all of a sudden start calling yourself Ramdas. And he, um, you know, there's really, not to get into the, the whole history of sort of yogic science in America, but there are, you know, you can really trace the history back just to a few pillars of people who brought Eastern mysticism to America. Ramdas, the Beatles, with when, you know, they went to go see the Maharishi and took up meditation, when seeing them in India on the cover of magazines, on the cover of Life, was huge. Uh, Swami Satyananda at Woodstock, you know, the Woodstock Swami. And those were primarily like the big pillars that brought this to America. And, you know, in the mid-60s, somebody told me once, um, in 1963, there were three places to practice yoga in America. Really? Yeah, just, you know, movement, asana yoga, only three. And so when Ramdas came back and, and, you know, became this person, uh, you know, it really, it really changed the fabric of, you know, how we interpreted uh, religion and mysticism and spirituality and he really turned it on its head and primarily gave uh, young people the permission to feel okay about breaking away from Judeo-Christian paradigms which was you know that was the big thing you know if when you were 18 years old in 1965 you know to say you know Jesus does nothing for me i'm not interested in this that was a big deal you know now it's it's you know well you know i mean to be honest with you there was just an article where a city banned yoga because they they were like they they literally were like it's 
it's like the devil's Islam thing, right? or something. Like footloose for yoga. So yeah, one hundred percent, dude. Not, not in my town. It's it's unbelievable. Wow, that's crazy, right? Yeah, there's so much information out there, yet nobody wants to get it, and it's such an interesting thing. I love inform. I love hearing about information. That's what's so great about podcasts. I mean, what we were just talking about before. I mean, the 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 thing about uh, you know my my favorite. I mean, this is a low hanging fruit sort of compliment on podcasts, but because you know there are no gatekeepers you're the gatekeeper i love it you're not you guys aren't reporting to anyone nobody's editing anything <laughs> yeah especially on this show <laughs> nobody's telling us what content we can put on you know even as great as you know there are great shows on television here and there of course but they still answer to a corporate yeah person at the top you know someone uh, signing those checks someone's <laughs> signing those checks i mean us and duncan and, and rogan and, and 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 me you know we're we're all kind of out there just you know putting stuff out there that's just interesting to us that's unedited that's passionate that's unbiased um yeah it's an, it's an amazing so, revolution so when did you did you rebel against this at first or did you just totally get into this the yoga what would you call it yoga science the science of yoga the science of yoga yeah i mean i was introduced to it in you know in my teenage years through ram das and also i had uh, sort of an introduction to the Hare krishna movement when i was a teenager um but kind of all of that combined i was not you know i was not ready for it you know i read be here now when i was 16 of course and you know i thought it was it was fascinating, and I loved being around Ram Dass when he would come over. I mean, he was just this sparkling ball of light that, you know, I had never seen anything like it. But now, did you know him before the spiritual No, change? no, no. That was way before I was born. Okay. Well, not way before, but a few years before I was born. And, uh, yeah, so it kind of took a while for it to, I guess, gestate and sort of present itself in, in my life, yeah. That's amazing. Now, I have a little quote from Ram Dass since we're talking about him. Treat everyone you meet as if they are God in drag. Yeah, exactly. I That's love right. that, man. <laughs> There's a lot of good quotes here I have here for today. but I love that. What's interesting about uh, Richard Alpert or Ram Dass now, who he is, mm. is that uh, he comes from you know Jewish faith. And he, right. always, he never really like um, turned so much away from it. He's like accepted it. And it's funny to think that comedians... So many of the good comedians are Jewish, you know? That's funny. I think yeah. there are a lot of great, funny Jewish comics. I was yeah. trying to tell Sam, like, trying to explain the concept that I was thinking, because I've studied some Hinduism, that Hinduism and stand-up comedy have something in common where they see everything as kind of like a joke. <laughs> you can't take anything too seriously. Uh, right. You're either going to cry from, like, pain, or you can just laugh it off. And Well, the you know, the, 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 in Hinduism, one of the core principles is, uh, you know, it's referred, they, uh, the, I guess, uh, you know, the philosophy refers to life as the lila. It's called the lila, L-I-L-A. And the lila means the divine play. And so if you just refer to your life as, well, it's just all part of the lila. It's all part of the play. It's all part of the, part of the dance. And within a divine play, everything happens, right? Tragedy happens, sadness happens, but redemption happens and happiness and, and success. And so it's all part of this, you know, this cosmic sort of dance, which creates, you know, within yourself, it kind of creates this platform to detach from things that we find overly important. Yes. You know, yes. like, if God, my God, my heart's broken. It's really sad. This sucks. And I do feel the pain. 
but it's going to pass. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Yeah, it's it, all going to rebirth. Ramdas no. said, I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. Oh, beautiful. You ever just go outside and see the trees moving? Right. You're like, <laughs> I get so angry when I see them cutting trees. I get so angry. I want to start a program where every time I see a tree get cut down, I go somewhere and I plant, plant another tree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could. I'm down with that. Yeah. For people to understand a little bit back of uh, the backstory of uh, Richard Alpert and, and your, Timothy Leary is they both were professors at Harvard yeah. during the infamous uh, Harvard experiment, <laughs> yeah. Chapel Good Friday experiment. They both took two different paths, one uh, a path towards spiritual and one towards, I guess, a less... It's hard to describe that path. I would say, uh, well, hard to put I, I, I'd say, you know, revelation through the mind, intellectualism. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was really, I mean, he was kind of really a quantum physicist, explorer of the mind. I mean, I'm talking about, about Tim Leary. Um, was he like, was he so smart that I, it was too analytical? Too smart. Too like too you smart, see people yeah. that it's like they almost can't interact with people because they're operating at such a higher level that it's it not that maybe he couldn't I- interact with you well but just like sometimes they just maybe they don't they're just a square peg in a round hole because they're so much smarter than everybody else. Yeah, I mean he was a he was a really challenging personality. No, no question. I mean he had very few. I mean you know many 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 acquaintances and people were always around, but not that many great friends. You know, I mean, he just was always kind of operating at this frequency and this level and always kind of always on, you know, which is um, it's a difficult place to be. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when was the first? Did you go to India in your youth or? No, I went to India for the first time in 2008. Wow. And I've been every year pretty much since. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So went, um, went this year for a month. I want to get. Do you want to get into his other podcast? Yeah, let's I, talk uh, about it. Tell us, a, tell us a little bit about your other podcast because I find it incredibly interesting. Well, the other podcast for sure, and it, it maybe has a, a better story to it as no, well. No, the and, last and, one was and, great too. <laughs> well, in, in terms of my involvement of it, yes, I, I host uh, the Maps Podcast, which is the multidisciplinary association for. I love it, studies. dude. <laughs> You're doing the Lord's work, I'm man. Doing the Lord's work, uh, but it's funny because now, I mean, it's within the thread of everything that we're talking about because when it first uh, kind of I guess crossed my desk as an opportunity to do it it was not an immediate sort of okay let's do it you know it was you know, I had to sit back and consider it for a while and be like hmm you know do I really want to be in the psychedelic world like that you know front and center and that front because you know the the the, the comparison and the affiliation is just so close Mm-hmm. It yeah, it took a while to to get comfortable with it, but it passed, and I did, and I'm having fun with it. It's great. So, it's been fun. So basically, I I, I kind of I, I was on Duncan Trussell's podcast, and we were kind of talking about a lot of stuff going on, mm-hmm. and you know, he's I don't know if he's in the conspiracy theories, but he was vibing pretty well with what we were just talking about our mm-hmm. our spiritual skepticism, and you know, they were talking about the deep state and the wars and all this stuff, and he and then he started saying, dude, there's a group out there that's it's fighting back. And he's like, they're like this, they're, they're this group of light, man. And they're, they're working for good. And, I, you know, I'll always root for those people. I want them. It's sometimes when you see all the chaos in the world, it gets hard to believe that there's a mm. white knight riding in. But he was telling me about this group that's trying to make, like, psychedelics. 
like legal for therapeutic group. And then I realized mm-hmm. he was talking about your group. And about uh maps, yeah. Matt, well, can you tell us a little bit more about maps? Because I think what you guys are doing is like incredible. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And and I just I'm not uh this isn't a moment of self depreciation or anything, but I'm just the podcast host, No, that's know? cool though, dude. <laughs> and, uh, in fact uh, you do anything about it, it's cool. No, and I, I love it. It's fun. Um but Rick Doblin who started Maps, uh, he started it in the eighties and to sort of give an idea of God, talk about having a vision. Like, okay, if somebody comes to you right and says, "Okay, you're going to start this thing, but you're not going to see any success for 30 years," you know, most people would be like, "Oh man, I don't know. It's kind of a long time to get payoff." And that's Rick's story. I mean, when he started uh, Maps, you know, I mean, he decided to go the route of re-energizing and reinventing and re-defining um, psychedelic research because it had really gotten lost through the war on drugs and oh. it, it just it really got just you know left left in the dust so Rick came along and wanted to give it new light and new love and, and new respect that it that it really deserves so he started the kind of the long the long road trudging the road of just um you know, finding a way for psychedelic research to gain legitimacy, but to also gain legitimacy through very, um, you know, uh, I guess, you know, standard channels. You know, yeah. You know, I mean, normal you're basically ma- mainstream trying to get channels. the FDA right to approve yeah. as therapeutic, which is you're you're not just going up against the FDA. You they're going up against people who have. Oh, have had a long game of misinformation yes. for profit, and we've we've done a lot of shows in here with a lot of people that before I did the show I would never have believed this. But you know, it's like, you know, when when we talk about the white sun and the black sun and Mother Earth and this demonization of the divine feminine and uh, mm-hmm. just about empathy, there was like a, a war on empathy and like being not being empath. And when you realize that there's some people who have who have gone out of their way to form consent to get a certain thing going, and that is drugs. And, it, you know, n- not all drugs are harmful. Some, some, I don't even know if I call psychedelics drugs. I, I know they alter your mind, but it's it's like when I think drugs, I think, you know, crack, meth, yeah. heroin, you know, these things that could destroy. Medicine. Right, yeah. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool. And, uh, I mean, an add to that working with the FDA, I mean, you know, the primary application of, uh, you know, the MDMA research that MAPS is doing is treating PTSD with vets. So not only dealing with the FDA, dealing with vets and the Veterans Administration and the Pentagon. I mean, it's an incredible, incredible road to to really, you know, try to unravel. And, you know, just this year, you know, the the phase three trials for MDMA uh, PTSD uh, applications has, has has gone through, so that means you know within a couple of years uh, MDMA can be legal for therapeutic use. And wh- what do they b- basically believe the drug does for these people? Well, so uh, MDMA um, it's an um, em- empathogen, you know, and and so what that basically does is it unlocks sort of the core source of where your trauma lies, you know, mm-hmm. and where trauma forms and creates sort of like, you know, a, a hold on you within the in, inner depths of your soul. It creates, you know, all of these sort of offshoot things that we refer to in uh, personality 
disorders as fear, as ego, as anxiety, as anger, as, um, you know, as, 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 as sort of getting as trigger warnings, you know, getting, you know, set off by things that are all, you know, all come back to your trauma, all where that trauma was born. And when you take MDMA, you're able to sort of look at that core trauma and just add sort of a, a, a soft bubble around it, sort of a soft cushion to where you can look at that trauma and let go of all your attachment to it, which heals it a little bit. So what you're seeing with people who have, um, you know, very strong cases of, of PTSD, the MDMA can have them look at, you know, those very, very dark um, incidents that caused the trauma, you know, whatever that is. I mean, imagine what, you know, an Iraqi war vet oh, yeah. went through. And to be able to look at that MDMA, and you can really get to the place of forgiveness. Yeah. Of that, you know, it's not about you. It's out of your hands. It's out of your hands. And you're you're putting a bad spot. You're putting a bad spot. Um, you know, it's just... It rewire, like psychedelics yeah. and mushrooms, they, they, they somewhat start rewiring your brain a little bit, right? They 100%. Um, yeah. MDMA was first prescribed uh, for couples counseling, yeah. so couples could open up to one another. And what's fascinating about that is that moving backward in time, LSD was first um, used by psychologists and therapists, but the psychologists would take the LSD so they could understand what it felt like to be... <laughs> Crazy, quote right. unquote. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's that they were taking it so they could get as close to the edge of the abyss and stare into it and understand what people like schizophrenics and people with real emotional problems are going through. Because haven't you ever had that moment? You're like, I don't know if I'm going to come back from this one. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. I call it Thursday and sometimes Friday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. It's just like, uh, yeah, dude, I get that, man. It, it reminds me That's of a, amazing. the Maharaji named Karoli Baba, correct? Mm. Uh, a quote from him is, cleanse the mirror of your heart and you will see God. Yeah, that's that's very true. And I think that's very akin to the secular like, experience as well, is that it, it, it polishes the mirror. You know, there's it's a very kind of traditional Hindu uh, Vaishnava metaphor, but, um, you know, polishing the mirror, um, you know, the, the, the metaphor of the mirror with inside your own soul gets covered with dust and the dust of the human condition. That's ego. That's uh, self-obsession. That's fear. That's greed. It's lust, envy, all of these things clouds the mirror. And then it just gets so full of dust. But once you just kind of cleanse that mirror, you are exactly what your intrinsic nature set out to be in the first place. Divinity lies within, you know, the psychedelic phenomenon, the psychedelic epiphany. It all lies within. It's all within inside of you. Yes. And so when you have these uh, these tools that unlock these these keys and give you this new way to pierce the veil and to look at a situation from another angle, you're seeing something that was already true within yourself, but you were just afraid to live it. You're afraid to be it. And, you know, I am, you know, and, and it, it's an interesting thing for me because I, I am in recovery. I'm a substance abuse recovery person. But, you know, the psychedelic tool set is. What is your take on that? Well, we talk about that a lot yeah. on here because, yeah. like, I yeah. deal, you know, we're, a, we're sober, but I believe that shrooms, uh, shrooms should be able to be done occasionally to open your mind. But then, you know, like, 
Well, look, I get why the AA, why the 12-step mandate is as black and white as it is and why it needs to be. I mean, I get that. I've been to treatment more than once. You know, I get why you need to tell that to the newcomer. Right. I get that. And I'm not, by any means, I'm not going to stand up at the podium and say, all you newcomers are being misinformed. Fuck no. You know, do, you know, do the 12 steps. Do what your sponsor tells you. Figure it out. Get better. Right. Come talk to me in five years. Right, You know, once you're sort of. I get it. You know what I mean? But, you know. I mean, I know this is the most sort of cliche response to the whole thing, but Bill W. did acid five times. I, I don't think it's cliche <laughs> at all. I think yeah. it's like a, a legit argument against it. It is. I, I get yeah. the, the rules because, like, we as addicts, we obviously didn't want to listen to anybody and we want to do everything our own way. Yeah. I think when you go into these, and I know we're not supposed to talk about that much, and, and, but I think they try to instill structure, having a little structure. That's right. And then when you get to a point where, okay, now you got to find out, do a little psychic diving into your soul and and some experience and connecting with the universe a little bit more. And the great, you know, promise of of sort of the 12-step model, and this was certainly true for myself, is that before I came into the 12-step model, I really did not believe that you could not use drugs. You know, I was absolutely convinced that, you know, this is fucked. I'm going to have to do something. You know, I'm never going to be able to smoke pot. Like, no, but you can actually get sober. That, that's an actual, that's a real thing that can happen. And I've can, seen it happen. <laughs> and you can have a great, amazing, fruitful, productive, happy, fun life. And I thought that was, you know, uh, you know, an anomaly. I did not think that was possible. So, yeah, but, the, the, you know, so the 12-step model has its place. And I'm not saying it, it doesn't. And I just, uh, you know, just to echo my dad's work, you know. Think for yourself and question authority, you know, get to the place to where you can, you know, dictate your own reality and decide what works best for you. And, you know, every indigenous culture since the dawn of man has done some kind of psychedelic plant or vegetable because it's indigenous mushrooms grow pretty much all over the entire world. Cannabis and cannabis strains and tangents grow all over the world. Um, you know, the history of uh, ergot root and wheat and yeah. It's not quite as clear as, as, as mushrooms, but, you know, the, the with the natural form it's of LSD, it's, it's, it's in there and ayahuasca. So these traditions have been going on for just thousands and thousands and thousands of years as ways of sort of taking our humanity, putting it around the campfire and engaging in soul. I could you know? I so. completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. It's just uh, we have a friend of ours who had... Um, who uh, went to Mexico for that whole treatment, and he says it mm. helped him. Well, he went well, to an Ibogaine. The Ibogaine thing. Oh, wow. What is uh, your thoughts on that? Well, I've never done it. Um, I'm open to doing it. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, I've heard great, I mean, really amazing stories, especially around the opiate. Yeah. Um, the opiate problem. If you have um, an opiate addiction, it can, it can break the chain. It's fascinating. You know? um, as much as like when you get into the counterculture concept, everyone brings up uh, Timothy Leary. People will bring up Ram Dass, mm. and my two quote unquote gurus in before recovery and post recovery have been Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna. So great. I listen to them. I have like almost all their available like lectures. I uh, heard someone say uh, listening to Alan Watts is like cuddling with Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> 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 listen, I've been growing up. 
uh, on KPFK, you know, they used to play Alan Watts tapes, uh, at, uh, followed by, uh, oh, what was his name? Oh my God. Joe Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Frank into Alan Watts. It was like every Sunday night during my entire, entire youth. Did you know this? I'm, I'm going to just look it up on my, uh, on my Instagram because I posted this. I just found this out, but that, uh, speaking of Alan Watts and McKenna, since you just mentioned it, November 16th, Alan Watts died and Terrence McKenna was born. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. It is crazy. And Albert Hoffman first synthesized LSD on that day. Whoa. All on November 16th. Holy shit. That's like the holy trinity of like... Who fucking knew that? I just found that out this week for the first time ever in my life. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Yeah. You just blew my mind. Yeah. You just blew my mind, homeboy. Did you, by, I mean, did you ever come across Terrence in any of your time? Yeah, yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was young, but yeah, I met Terrence many times. He's great. He, I've, uh, he has a quote here about psychedelics. Psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. (laughs) Man, that could be said about everything. I mean, that is life right here. That is what we deal with. You know, it's just like we're we're raised to uh, we're, we're, we're brainwashed and raised to think a certain way. Yeah. And when evidence comes that that's not right, people cannot come to grips with that. That's right. It's a power. Well, it's a powerful thing to come to grips with because, you know, there you are sitting in your cubicle and, you know, you've been sitting in your cubicle for years and, you know, you thought it's all going well. But all of a sudden you realize that little chestnut that you just read and like, fuck, man. Yeah. What, what am I doing? Terrence also said, <laughs> reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers who want to turn you into half-baked moron, consuming all the trash that's been manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. Dude, <laughs> 100%. I mean, you just, like I was saying, with those, with the, uh, you know, divine feminine, you know? Yeah. It's just like there's been a manipulation from these very smart, powerful people that just to get you to consume their their stuff, uh, man, yeah. 100%. If, if the message of Terrence is anything, is culture is not your friend. And you guys go on YouTube and watch endless amounts of uh, Alan Watts uh, lectures, and you listen to Terrence, and there's something about that nasally little drone in his voice that just puts me <laughs> at ease, you know? like It's amazing. It, he does feel like he is from another planet because his ability to just articulate and just go from the hip about any subject it's beautiful it's amazing and you know what these guys i think what you know watts and mckenna and 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 albert and leary as as well it's you know they had the incredible gift of being able to talk about the things that nobody else could really talk about and that's sort of you know the rest of the 60s everybody was like oh my god my mind is blown i don't even know what to say you know you can't even express it but they could distill it and put it into language that worked for us. Terrence so quote yes. is there exists a dimension beyond language. Yes. It's just so damn hard to talk about. Yeah, that's that's the best. That's to me the fa- my, my favorite Terrence quote. And know? the and the similarities it. between meditation and really higher like getting in touch with yourself in a way of spirituality whatever it's eastern or western and psychedelics is it reminds me of the image of a a monkey putting his hand through the cage and grabbing on to like the banana 
mm. and the, and you can't bring the banana back with you. You have to let go of it. And there's always that part of a trip or a part of a deep meditative state where you're like, oh, I get it, I get it. I've like said that a million times, both yes. sober and not sober, where I'm like, I'll remember this tomorrow. And then you're like, wait, what was that banana I had in my hand again? It's really tough. It's really fleeting, you know, and sort of uh, dancing around the multiverse and sort of having a seat at uh, another corner of the multiverse. It's fleeting. It's so temporary. Being able to remember it and take it back and, and integrate it. I mean, that's that's the great psychedelic. Uh, you know, that's the slippery slope of psychedelics is and, integration. And know? that is yes. a big reason why psychedelics are illegal, right? Is because it lets you take a look going, oh, these rules are bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that's total bullshit. And that's then right. you just go, I'm really amazed that it even got to that, that they've allowed it to go this far. I try to think, what is the end game? Because the people who run a lot of stuff, I feel like to allow psychedelics to be legalized for um, certain traumas goes against their whole thing, which is profits, 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 profits. Well, we have to, rem yes, that's all true, but we also, I mean, this is a little burst of optimism here, is that we have I'm to, all for optimism, Doc. Yeah, I mean, we have to remember that, you know, the generation gap is really closed, and that is a fantastic thing. You know, one of the great problems of the 60s, and, um, you know, it, and my dad once said, in order to understand the 60s, you must understand the 50s. The difference between our parents and the kids in the 60s was fucking you know, the parents grew up in the Depression. The idea of doing LSD and gyrating to Jimi Hendrix was Mars. Oh, what? It was, it was Mars. Yes. It was so radical and so different. In comedy, it's and, like that, and, too. And, and Nixon, you know, Nixon was part of that old, I mean, he was Eisenhower's vice president. You know, he came from the 50s. He came from this cookie-cutter, 2.5, white picket fence culture. Mm. And so, you know, that has largely died. So, you know, a lot, the generation gap, is. I mean, I don't know if you guys have kids, right? I, I don't, but, no. you know, if I ever do, if we ever have kids, imagine the conversations we can have with our kids. So that's fused its way into the world. Well, and that's a great thing. When uh, you do, you know, I started comedy in the 90s, and mm. the uh, the elderly people in the crowd were the ones from the 50s, and they had a oh, way wow. different reaction to blue, dirty material. They did not like it. They shut down, and that was offensive to them. Oh, wow. Now sometimes, a lot of times when you get older crowds now, you know, you'll get a couple church people here and there, Mikey, but they laugh. They like they were they were the the do drugs make love that's right. you know you know don't trust anybody over forty all that craziness <laughs> you know they, they're open minded man they were they were the ones that were crazy and there's almost an argument now with this political correctness which to me is like this weird like mutation like the, it's like the 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 crackhead meth head cousin of the civil rights movement where there was civil rights was like mm. everybody come together we love don't judge people now it's like this weird like overreach thing but they're almost better than you know when you see like a, a, a crowd of all 20 year olds super shiny objects you're like oh man they, they could ease these millennials could get really easily offended because they do have all the stuff you're talking about, which is this freedom sexually. Uh, women yeah. are liberated. If you're gay, you could be open about it. And, yeah. you know, it's not you don't have to live in the closet. You're, like there's all 
they have all this freedom now. You can get drugs on your phone. Guy will, you know, weed's legal. <laughs> you know, I said before, if I wanted to get drugs, I had to go on the corner of rape and murder to get weed, you know, with some guy who sold me a bag and it had like sticks and stones in it. And it was yeah. like a totally different thing. They have almost everything. So right. now they have to hold on to one thing. They have to rage on one thing. And they've picked words that, it, in my opinion, they're like this overstepping of like cultural huh. awareness to like this, like just buzzwords trigger them to they get they don't even want. And then they have fine print. You know, one pe- some people can say this, but other people can't say this and lumping. It's just this yeah. weird kind of stuff that they that, that they've been carried away, hasn't it? It's, it's, it's just gone strange. too far. It's gone too far. Yeah. I feel and that about a lot of issues going on. I mean, right comic, you know, I know some great comics who are uh, a little older than I am who are thinking about not doing comedy anymore because it, it's just gotten so weird. I don't understand why you want to take rights away. Like the right to, you, like you can't be provocative at it anymore. It's hard to be offensive, right? Like you can't. <laughs> it's not even hard to be, like if you're really trying to say something, make a point, people hear buzzwords you know, like back in the day, like there used to be this comedy club in Chicago that I played in the early 2000s, one of my favorite called Riddles. It was the best club to say. But if you mention the word Jesus, doesn't matter how, in what context, Jesus, they would shut down on you. They would go with anything else. I mean, this is uh-huh. like, this is like north side of Chicago, I think it was. They were, they were cool with anything. Jesus, shut down. Now with these kids, there's buds words. Uh-huh. But if someone comes up that they socially accept, they they'll laugh their ass. It's, it's just this weird kind of. And, and you toured the, the whole country, right? I've done. Middle I, states, I've everywhere. I've been everywhere, right? man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've done it all, man. I've done it all. It's just, and you know what's so funny, man? There are places like, uh, you know, Texas, uh, Florida, Arizona, great cities to do stand up in. But then you get into like San Francisco, and you're like, what's going to happen here? <laughs> Who am I getting right now? <laughs> San Francisco. Talk about a city that's. I mean, that's died. It, yeah. Well, it's just like <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's America, right? It's like this place where like greed and like elitism is really taking over. But at the same time, they're super sensitive. You know, don't say those words as they're stepping over homeless people. Yeah, it's it's weird though because San Francisco, like that's a great example of good intentions. And I Run love amok. San Francisco, the people. Yeah. We get a lot of it's listeners fantastic. from San Francisco. But there it's is a, this weird thing where it's yeah. like, you got to watch what you say, but it's not not everybody has to watch what they say. For some reason, there's some people that can just go off and they're, they're like, oh, it's so, like, Louis C.K. is a great example. Like, this group of people who are, all these people calling him out right now are the same people that greenlit him doing all the baby rape well, jokes and all that stuff. That, that, that one's ridiculous to me. I, I have to. I feel strongly about that, about the Louis C.K. situation. In terms of what? In that, you know, there's a difference between perversion and criminality. Okay, I there's agree with that. There's a difference between that. Not that he sh- he shouldn't be held accountable. Right. Now that he shouldn't apologize. You know, all of that. But do we need to pull all of his content off? Come on, I, man. Well, I, w- I would say I think that that was... I don't think it was pulling content off to go... Okay, we got to get rid of Louis C.K. I think it's, if I represent Louis C.K., I'm getting all this stuff off because what they're going to do is they're going to slice this stuff all out and it's only going to make him look worse. Here's my whole thing. I'm friends with the two girls that the story yeah, I, was based I know, about. I know Dana. I love Dana. I know her. Yeah. And uh, you know what? She told me the story of it. Yeah. And, 
You, you know, you're going, okay, these two chicks, this guy jerked no. off for these girls. Within the which within sexual assault, that that isn't the worst it could get. So there is that. But the crime real I mean the the the, the second crime and, and what they always say, the cover up is worse than the actual crime, is the uh, the bullying, the if you tell anybody about this yeah, by his management. Sure. And yeah. now I hear Louis C.K. is taking names. He's finding out who's doing this. And he's going to remember, which makes me think you've learned nothing from this. Mm. If there's Everything should be a, a, a teachable moment. Now, I, I've mm. tried. I've never walked on water. I'm not a perfect dude in any way, shape, or form. Uh, look, man, all I'm saying is that, like, Look, I mean, if we have that sort of standard for artistry, right? Right. And it's like, you know, looking for artists to sort of be a representation of some sort of moral high ground. I mean, fuck, we have to throw out all of our William Burroughs books, all of our Allen Ginsberg poems. 100%. I mean, Martin Luther King had an extramarital affair. So did Gandhi. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, all, it's all just a bubble Without of confusion. Without a doubt. Yeah, and I'm, I get it, and I, you know, I, I, I know Dana and, and her... And her partner and that story and no question that it's, it's incredibly fucked up but we've created this this position for ourselves to we're looking for artists to be purveyors of morality yeah i I, I agree with you more again my my issue yeah. is with the cover-up and the bullying and, and the, the, uh, the power play yeah, yeah and like on thing, those yeah. girls because like what if they were your daughter or your sister or something like that would uh, i would go nuts yeah. but i do agree with that and what we're seeing right now is this movement by these people who think they're doing good. See, everyone, I said this before, everyone loves a witch hunt until you're the witch. Well, everybody loves a witch. That's a, that's a good one. But everyone loves a story. We're so starving for a story right now. Like, you can't look at your news feed on Facebook going, oh, my God, what's the topic today? You know, what What, what do we, what, you know, your battery died. Yeah, and I I was putting it in my charger anyways. <laughs> but you know what I mean? We're, we look at, we got, we've got to have a story. You know, we've got to, you know. 24-hour news cycle. News, yes, something just to feed that, that algorithm all the time. And I, I think it's, that's. Well, we also have a couple other things going on is that uh, you have a lot of people, these social justice warriors who like to speak out and are, uh, we kind of. Take their their outrage at face value, meaning one that they're, they're doing it out of love and not doing it to be like for attention oh, or to uh, promote themselves. You know, hey, if you get on MS, you say the right thing. MSNBC interviews you now. Now you got a little heat going. You can do all this stuff. You can be outraged all you want to. And the other problem I have with this is like everybody who speaks out, we automatically assume they have a doctrine in human behavior. Like they are an expert <laughs> in how people interact. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Who, we don't know, who are you? Why, uh, why should I take your word on something? And I just think it's like it's a really bad game to go. And that's why we have so many, so many horrible politicians is because people who, like, dude, I used to have a joke about it, but like you ever party so hard next day you realize you can never run for public office? Like that's a, that's a real thing, dude. That's a real thing, dude. Yeah. I mean, fucking Al Franken was a coked up Saturday Night Live writer. Of course he yeah, grabbed some. What's the guy who just chairs, did? Man. He did my show. What's his name? That was just on my my uh, my show at the comedy store. He did Saturday Night Live. Completely cracked out the whole time on crack. Oh, Daryl Daryl yeah. Hammond. Daryl Hammond. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> he's a nice guy. Nicest dude ever. Wait, he was on SNL for years, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Not to go back to the Frisco. What what I was been thinking. It's funny is that San Francisco was the place for the counterculture. It's the summer of love. 
Uh, if you go into San Francisco, put flowers in your hair. And now you hear stories about uh, people that work for Google and other upstarts. They're microdosing. Yeah, the microdosing is. And and like the they're making it's like I big see trend. It's a big trend, but it's like yeah. you guys are microdosing and building Skynet. You guys aren't. You maybe you needed <laughs> megadose. Maybe you need to step back and realizing you're building the Terminator. Well, maybe yeah, it's that well. microdosing that's going to let them put the kill switch somewhere in there that they don't tell anybody about. Well, I mean, microdosing. I, I, it, it's an amazing phenomenon. I'm glad it's it's gaining so much headway and gaining so much steam. But microdosing, it's. It's sort of only by convenience that it's associated with a psychedelic movement. Because if you've ever been on a microdosing regimen, it is not psychedelic. No. It's like taking a supplement. Yeah. You know, it feels like just vitamins. Like ginkgo biloba. Yeah, exactly. And it's great for your, you know, for your cognitive, you know, to give you a sort of cognitive boost and, you know, get your brain just, you know, firing on a few more cylinders. And it's fantastic for that. But it isn't exactly. If it were more psychedelic, you'd be like, holy yeah, what, what are we doing? Well, they, yeah. w- they wouldn't be doing all the stuff they're doing right now. And it's funny because that's how I became a big fan of Terrence McKenna because his whole thing was the plants are the guru. Oh, yes. The gu- and it's weird because I find myself always riding the fence between uh, like mm. I'll listen to Terrence and then I'll start reading deeper stuff like scriptures from mm. like I read the Bhagavad Gita and I was like, oh, it's all right here. And then I listen to Terrence. I'm like. He's kind of right. Like, if you mm. really want to see God or talk to God, like, 5.6 grams dried <laughs> in a room, no lights, by yourself, and... That'll do it. That'll do it. I see the similarities, what's happening now, with what happened in the 60s, why everyone was tuning in, turning on, dropping out, going and getting wild, having fun. I see it happening in the same sense with this EDM movement, where kids are going to Burning Man, and they're going to Lightning in a Bottle, mm. and... And all these different, like, you know, outside lands. And they're just consuming drugs, whether it's MDMA or all sort, uh, acid, mushrooms, you name it. And they're just rocking out like it's the last night of Zion. But yeah. it's like you realize these plant medicines were designed to help connect with with yourself, not like necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I think the, I think we were t- kind of talking about this this earlier when you sort of get the big revelation from psychedelics and you realize it's all sort of a big a big lie, you know, of, you know everything that you're being told is is wrong and everything like that. And and I just think that every sort of counterculture movement, whether it's you know the '60s, the Burning Man movement, you know the Roaring Twenties, there's always the edge, always the outliers who are just looking for escapism. Yeah, you know the 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 kind of the being alive thing. You know, especially if you're a millennial, I think it's 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 hard. It's hard to be alive. It's hard to. Yeah, you know, I got to go to work. I got to go do this. That's yeah, true. I got to pay rent. Yeah. Really? Fuck, man, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, you I know? should be a little more sympathetic because <laughs> I, I am one. I'm like the my opinion. My generation was just post Gen X, but before millennials, so we could still go and not have a phone on us that had all the world's information on it. 24-hour pornography like I was able to have like a childhood and still a teenage years of exploring myself without realizing I have FOMO or like I need to see the Instagram post or the Snapchat or what there's a there's a fail-safe built into having too much connection whether it's technological or I I agree yeah and then how that's all going to play out is anyone anyone's guess I have yet, no you know? clue, man. We, I we keep thinking it's going to hit some kind of weird kind of critical mass. And like sometimes mm. I go on Facebook and I'm just like, this is not fun anymore. Yeah. 
This is not fun anymore. How'd you get involved with Zendo? Because I definitely wanted to bring up the Zendo project. Well, yeah, the Zendo project, it's, um, you know, that's, uh, I guess, tangentially related to, um, to, to maps. And, and Zendo is really about harm reduction, uh, you know, mainly uh, out of, you know, born out of the festival circuit where, uh, you know, places like Burning Man or Lightning in a Bottle to where, you know, you have to accept that there are X number of people doing pretty heavy doses of psychedelics. Therefore, just statistically, it's purely a math thing that so many people are going to have challenging, yeah. quote unquote, bad trips. Yeah. So let's not leave them, you know, rolling around in the dirt by the dry riverbed, freaking out, thinking that, you know, that... It's <laughs> the end of days! That, that Felix the house cat thumping bass is going to yeah. kill them, you know, give yeah. them a nice place to go and talk them down, help them to confront what what their trauma of the moment is, help them to confront their heart and their soul and to figure it out. And that's what the Zendor Project is. What do you think causes a bad acid trip? I've had them. I've had them. I mean, I think what causes it is you are brought so front and center. You're just accelerated at such a fast rate into the places in the corners of your mind, in the corners of your soul where you're stuck. And you just confront them at such a fast, uh, you know, uh, rate that sort of light speed. And you're so hypersensitive that being brought face to face with that at such a, 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 you know, an alarming rate, it's um, that's that's a bad trip. I mean, that's that's difficult. You know, that's that's a difficult thing for anyone to navigate. And, um, you know, when you're when you're there and you're front and center and within just looking at it. Crazy, dude. And that's what it is. You know, I don't think bad trips have anything to do with um, the chemical being bad or um, the killers within. The killers within, or that all of a sudden you think you're a flying monkey and you need to jump off the building. I think it's that you're just looking at the own mirror of your soul and seeing shit that's a little dusting off. And you need to work on it, and that's hard. So traditionally, before it was Zendo, it was just called the freak out tent. As (laughs) as I remember, people like. Yes, but the Zendo project now, I mean, the people who work in, in the Zendo tents, they are um, you know, highly, highly qualified with you know, hours and hours and hours of, uh, of, um, of experience and you know, who really know, know yeah. of yeah. internship. You guys with, provide you know. a compassionate listening. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, the four basic principles of harm reduction is create a safe space, sitting, not guiding. So you sit with the person. You're not trying to guide them through their... Right. difficult trip uh you talk through not down you're not trying to talk someone off a, a psychedelic cliff and for difficult is not the same as bad you know oh that's right oh, that, the last one's great i forgot about that one so true so 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 true yeah and yeah so uh i, I would love because you you talked to me because this is a spiritual skepticism podcast you want to uh Go into a real quick conspiracy. Would you? I would like to do right. it since we're wrapping up since here. Since you love are, uh, let me just jump in anywhere. Tell me where I'm wrong. This is a we don't we present ideas. We don't necessarily believe all of them. We just want to flesh them out. Owsley Stanley, the bear. Yes, at only 15, he voluntarily committed himself to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Washington D.C., where it was founded by Dr. Winfred. Overhauser, and it was uh, an LSD research through the Scottish Rite Committee. So I said a whole bunch of shit. What I said was a 15-year-old voluntarily committed himself to a hospital 
where they were doing that LS- is interesting. LSD I, I, research. I don't know any of this. He brought the, he he's telling me mm. this earlier. I'm like, have you heard about? Like, have you heard this before? Yeah, I've heard of it before, but I really don't know the details. So I really don't yeah. Uh, St. Elizabeth's Hospital is also where presidential SF... Hold on, hold on. You jumped over something, though. You said Scottish... So Scottish the, right. the research was, yeah, was yeah. funded by the Scottish Rite Committee, which yeah. is an offshoot of the Freemasons. Freemasonry, right. So, so two flags pop... This is, this is a bunch of a story of red flags about a gentleman named Owsley Stanley. We'll get into who he really became. All right, so after... He gets out of there, and after a stint in the U.S. Air Force beginning in 1956, Stanley moved to L.A., where he worked at Pasadena's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, funded by Jack Parsons. So red flag number... Jack Parsons and... and, uh, and uh, Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley, of course. So yeah. Parsons was so a leader... It's like a high school in Hollywood where you're yeah. like, oh, he went there, that guy went that actor yeah. went there, that musician went there. So those that yeah. are into conspiracies, a lot of flags gone off. We've got Freemasons. You have a person being in a, a mental asylum that does LSD research. And now you enter the U.S. Air Force. It appears that there's military intelligence involved. Now you're working for JPL, which was a, originally it was Jack Parsons' laboratory. Yeah. And Parsons was a leader of the Agape Lodge, the American chapter of Alistair Crowley's OTO. And it was also the first known contes of a so-called Nordic aliens. There's the idea that Jack Parsons and Alistair Crowley opened up a portal around the same time when the Roswell incident happened. This is like going deep down the kooky well, but stick with me. I love it, dude. Yeah. All right. Now, in, in 1963, he enrolled at the University of California, Berkeley where he became involved in the psychoactive drug scene. He dropped out only after one semester and began producing LSD in a small lab located in the bathroom of a house near a campus. All right. 1965. Stanley met the members of the Grateful Dead. He financed them with the selling of his acid and worked with them as their audio engineer. Stanley also helped design the band's trademark skull logo because the acid he made at the time was called White Lightning. And they would have the electric... Oh, man, that's so crazy. He designed the steel your face, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Stanley became the primary LSD supplier for Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. All right. Ken Kesey learned about the drug in 1959 when he signed up to be a test subject in the CIA's notorious MKUltra program, oh. which we've done an episode on. Future Grateful Dead lyricist Robert Hunter also willingly dosed by the CIA as well. So interesting. A lot of weirdness going on here, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, Bear, as he's now known in the scene, was a key figure in the hippie movement during the 1960s and played a pivotal role in the counterculture. Sandoz Labs LSD was hard to come by, and the Owsley acid had become the new standard. So the idea is that Owsley is suspected to possibly be the supplier of LSD to the CIA from that point on. Yeah, but there are some discrepancies with the dates there, though. Okay. Is that the MK, MK Ultra was in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And right. And 59 is when Kinkeezy. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was, in, in, and by, you know, at the time, uh, you know, Kesey and, and all of that were on the road. MK Ultra was disintegrated. You don't think it, it still goes on today? It, um, maybe not that exact program, but some hmm. form of it under a different name. Yeah, I don't think it goes on with psychedelics. I mean, I think there's, of course, you know, mind control is always, you know, f- you know, front and center with any sort of governmental operation. I think it has more to do with data and, you know, the ability just to, uh, you know, 
AI algorithms. Yeah. And how to, I mean, that's really going to be human being. Sorry to derail this, but to no. be a human being 2.0 is going to be a synthesis with you know, silicone. And you know al- what pissed me off so, about that is I'm yeah. going to be too old to get a cool robot body. I know. We're going to be too old to get it all old. fixed. No one's going to put old man Sam in a sleek new fucking robot body. But, but you know, the thing, and people ask me this a lot about uh, about my dad's affiliation with the CIA because they did come knocking, you know, when he was working at Harvard. You know, in the late 50s and early 60s, um, you know, when the CIA did not have the, you know, we didn't think of it the same way as we do now. It didn't have this ominous sort of overtone of like world spy domination as it does now. And if you were a professor in 1960 and the CIA came knocking, you thought it was a good thing. Right. Right. You did not think of it as, oh, my God, the evil warlords are here. To, totally. And I, you thought, oh, this is, you know, the, the government was still your friend then. Right, right. And I agree you with know? that. I, the CIA was started by Nazis, though. That That, that yes, is but, one of But I, people didn't know that then. Okay. Yeah, That's I, the I thing. get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The perception of, you the, know, again, the, it's the like what we're trained to believe in. The government didn't really like, you know, your your relationship with distrusting the government really just started with the death of JFK. I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. yeah. That was the first you know? time you knew something That's what f- was going on. Something was wrong yeah, here. Something Something's, isn't right. Yes, yeah, something this And that's where they came up with the term conspiracy theorist to get you to if you and it still works today. If you question the official narrative, oh, you're one of those conspiracy theorists that happened on our show. We were interviewing the uh, a Satanist. uh, What was his name? Gavin Lucian Greaves. And we oh, you had him on the show. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. It was a great interview. We had a lot of fun, but it started off really interesting because he he we go hey welcome Tim Fall He goes what's the name of the show? I go Tim Fall He goes. Are you guys conspiracy theorists? <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, are you guys like, are you guys those Sandy Hook people who are terrorizing this? I'm like, are we getting called crazy by the Satanists, dude? <laughs> that's how you know. That's how you know you've won. Yeah, good for you guys. <laughs> um, is there uh, any more of this? But I, Owsley, I love the Owsley story. It's great. Have you heard stories of family acid? You've heard the term before. The family, like the L.A. cult. Not 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 uh. the one that started there on Sunset. Um, uh. It's a term people use nowadays that it might be a myth. And I have a friend that's still a deadhead, uh, Juan De Niro. He's a farmer up north. Juan De Niro. And uh, he's told me stories about that there are time lock safes and that people that were once real members of like the original deadhead family, that when someone dies, they still have vials of Owsley, purple Owsley uh. and, uh, or orange sunshine, some of them. And that when they die, the time lock safe will be unlocked with like the code in the will, and then now the real deadhead acids being released. Sandoz. You know, it's fantastic. You know, Bob Weir and, and John Perry Barlow, what Weir's lyricist yeah. for, for the Grateful Dead. You know, they're members of the Bohemian Grove, and crazy, and not. You know, I mean, you can ask Weir, and he'll, he'll say, yeah, you know. Wow. And he he said, I mean, his answer to it is well in the the true weird way of speaking well you know it's the only way we could access those kinds of people so you know but whatever you know so there you go so being of uh, a deadhead yourself do you feel like there's any undertone that maybe the government or the CIA had anything to do with the the movement get catching so much steam because if people were 
freaking out and having fun, then they weren't really trying to stop a well, war yeah, there's or right in the streets. One hundred. If you look at like, there's a uh, real quick, just the thought of uh, mm. with, um, you know, if you watch MTV Awards, they have these thirteen year old girls like twerking, doing lap dances. It's like, oh gosh, you know, it's just like, and you, I mean. I could get it. Hey, man, be a hippie, do drugs, have fun. I mean, like you know, I could see that. I mean, I mean, there there is definitely something. I mean, you know, some deadheads were getting were getting busted in the late eighties when their 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 third wave of popularity sort of exploded, and they were starting to playing stadiums again and stuff like that. A lot of people were getting busted, but you know, the question was, especially during the eighties, was often asked during Reagan America. How could this still be going on? Yeah, <laughs> you know how. I mean, you know, I mean the the Grateful Dead scene was also the primary uh, conduit for LSD distribution yeah. during the eighties and then through the nineties. I mean, that's where LSD moved into a city. You know, just sheets and sheets and sheets. So interesting. And it just dude. it kept happening. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, so me. I, hey, dude. You know, Pablo Escobar was an asset. Why not? <laughs> right, exactly. Why not the fucking dead? And but also too, you know, a lot of people liked the dead. A lot of people liked the music, which is sort of part of it. <laughs> yeah, <know>? no doubt. <laughs> so uh, zendoproject.org. Yeah. Uh, maps.org, check that out. And Oh, uh, this all started from the Maps podcast. Yeah. I I start <laughs> we're only twenty episodes in. Uh, dude, I love it, it man. I yeah, love it. Thanks. I love everything you're doing, man. It was a real honor to have you on the show. I hope you had a good time. Thank you so and, much for uh, me. It's been a I appreciate you going through the uh, the the traffic. Um, if we do it again, <laughs> we'll Skype you in. Um, anything you want to push real quick? Anything else? No, we're good. Thanks. Right, do you need a water, dude? I've, I've been like, I, I, no, I, the coffee was good. Okay. Yeah. Um, guys, uh, here's those dates real quick. I'm sorry about this. The Social Justice Warriors will be San Antonio Thursday, December 14th at the Blind Tiger. Uh, San Marcos, Friday, December 15th at KIVA, whatever that is. Austin, Sunday, December 17th at the Cap City Club. And then Houston, Saturday, December 16th at the Secret Group. I do not know why those are out of order. I got to fix the flyer on that. But I appreciate everything. Great episode. Next Tuesday, too. Oh, next Tuesday, we got uh, we got a great show at the uh, Comedy Store. Do you ever go to Comedy Store, man? Yeah. You should come next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I got a huge show. If you ever want to come to a comedy show, uh, you have my email. Cool. You can come there as my guest. Thank you. And when Duncan comes in, we all got a powwow together, man. Awesome. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been a great episode. And uh, we hear your uh, what you say good, and we hear what you want us to work on. And we're always trying to make the show better. Uh, support the show. Anything you do to help really helps So God bless. Take care, and we'll see you guys next week. No, we got another one tomorrow night. So we'll see you guys. Take care. Love you guys.